Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the weekly podcast where we find unexpected connections across your favorite mixed media from film, television, music, literature, sports, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleiman, and this is my co-host, Mr. George Jared Payton Gordon III. <laughs> Take it away, George. What's up, Dave? Super excited about this week. We have dancer, choreographer, and restaurant manager, Carlos Cruz Velasquez. We're going to be talking about dancers and seafood dishes. I actually had a good time writing this up. I've chosen some interesting dancers, but before we get to all that, how are you? I'm doing okay. I, I'm excited to hear those. We are experiencing our favorite thing here in New York City, which is uh, where everywhere is experiencing, which is climate change, which is that we went from 50 degrees to 80 degrees in the last week. And uh, yeah, I need new work pants. I don't have to explain this to George uh, as a fellow bartender, but it's not really like conducive to work behind a bar in shorts. And George, I don't even know if you own a pair of shorts. I'm not in the shorts. No, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and shorts. But do you own a pair of shorts? I feel like maybe I've seen you. I do. Yeah. But every time I put them on, it's like whenever you see a bald man with a ponytail, <laughs> it's like somebody holding on to something they can't get back, which is our youth. That's how I don't, I don't wear shorts. I hate shorts. Yeah. So anyways, I need some like pants that aren't jeans that are like light enough that I'm not going to be dying by the end of the night, but I can like spill stuff on, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on with me. What's, uh, what's happening with you, George? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm a, I'm a bit smidge hungover smidge, like a little, little smidge, but, um, cause I went and met some, uh, some, some writer friends last night at seven and sit out till two, which before times I was like, not that big a deal. But uh now it's like, wow, you sit out till two? It's yeah. crazy. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't feel so hot when I woke up this morning and Gladys, my cat, was like, wake up. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this right now. So it's been it's been a slow day because of that reason. <laughs> my question is before this though. Seven, like that's kind of early. You weren't going out. You were going out later than that. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, you weren't starting at seven. Were starting you? Starting at, at yeah. I went, I went. I met my friends at a bar at seven. That's er, that's see. That's early. Yeah, my buddy threw in the <laughs> one of my friends threw in the towel at twelve thirty. That's late. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we think we're ready to go to the bar. Yeah. What do we got on tap today, George? Today we're going to be talking about Master of None season three, which premieres May twenty first. Sabrina Ionescu's amazing hot start for the Liberty, and we're going to talk a little bit about Charles Gordon and Paul Mooney. But first, let's talk about uh, Master of None season three. Are you? I don't know. Are you a fan of this show? Yes. I mean, I liked the first two seasons. I um, we were speaking a little bit off pod, but you know, once some things came to light about Aziz Ansari, I kind of like. I always, you know, not. Uh, not that I never want to watch anything by him again, but I, I have less of an interest just naturally. Um, you know, so this season was, was, uh, it, it's been a long time coming. So I kind of snuck up on me and then you, you, uh, were talking about it and I was like, oh yeah, I'm interested. I mean, I'm interested to see they're, they're doing it differently this season. You want to talk about a little bit about like how they're, how they're changing it up. So he's not in it a bunch in this new season. I have watched the show and, uh, Let's say I, I dislike the stand-up, but oddly enough, I don't consume a lot of stand-up. I guess because it's like from doing stand-up comedy, like I just I don't enjoy watching like our specials unless I know you. I don't know him. I met him once. This is years ago. He was he was fine. But uh, oddly enough, I, I watched the show because I think the the best episodes of the show are the ones that he's not in a whole lot of. Like the uh, the New York episode, I thought was really amazing. The Thanksgiving episode is one of the best episodes in the history of television. And in the episode, uh, I think it's. 
Andrew Yang, I think is his writing partner. They talk about their immigrant parents, which is also a pretty great episode because I've got friends whose parents are immigrants. It's not Andrew Yang, but I, I forget the guy's name. Is, is, <laughs> it, is it is it his last name Yang? It might be. I think it actually, I think his name is Andrew Yang. <laughs> well, now I'm definitely not going to watch it. I think it's Alan Yang. Alan, fuck. No, that's fine. We'll keep that in. Fuck. It is Alan. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you that that I think the most interesting episodes were kind of the ones without without him in it. I mean, his his brand of comedy is fine. I, I like it in a general sense, but like it it only takes me so far, you know, Um and like I, yeah, I agree that some of those other characters, like the character uh, that Lena Waithe plays, is just a very interesting character. And whenever they focus on on her, th- those make for some of the most interesting episodes. Which is like what they're going to be doing, like you said. And- I think it's going. I think it's shorter this year. I think it's only like six episodes, but it's a season okay. focus. Like he's going to appear in it, but he's directing all the episodes, and uh, the season is going to focus on her relationship with the uh, with the young lady who's in the Thanksgiving episode. Like, which again, it's just the Thanksgiving episode is un- un- unbelievably awesome. So it is really great. Uh, Mary Bess, I know you uh, had some thoughts about Aziz Ansari and, and watched his last uh, special that came out a couple of years ago where he kind of addressed uh, some of those things. What, uh, what would you add? My thoughts on it? I, I'm someone who I don't necessarily want to say grew up because it came later in my life, but um, grew out with Parks and Rec. Uh, which is a show that I love. Those those characters are, are something I go back to all the time. Um, and Aziz Ansari was a part of that world. And so, you know, anytime any allegations of sexual misconduct come up, you know, we are reminded again and again that people in the public eye are fallible. People in the public eye are human beings. And, you know, we, we can't glamorize uh, and um, glorify performers because we're doomed to be let down. <laughs> Because because we're all fallible, we're all human beings. Um, but I do remember seeing his special right now, a stand-up special that I believe came out around 2019. And I do remember not feeling completely relieved after the fact, but feeling like he did what I thought was a respectable job of trying to address the allegations against him and trying to move forward. And the fact that he's kind of been out of the public eye for a little while, um, as someone who is less a fan of cancel culture, more a fan of accountability and a big fan of grace, um, which for me really manifests itself in people who misstep as we will all do and take steps to rectify that and to be better and to make amends. Um, It seems like he's someone who has tried to do that, which I I do respect, but I'm like you, Dave. I, I think that in my mind, I automatically kind of lean away um, from from folk just to give space for that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm definitely curious to to see what this new season will be like. I also am a big fan of Lena Waithe, and I I loved her storylines in the previous seasons. So I, I am curious, but I do think it's just something we have to keep in the back of our minds that you know, making amends and being better is a big part of being humans and and loving and respecting and taking care of each other. And it's a little bit different for people in the public eye because they are, their presence is so central and their lives are so very public in many ways that it is very different, but in some ways it's not different at all. And 
I think if we tap into our own humanity and the way we love and take care of each other, then it will help inform us as to, you know, where we're putting our time and our interest and our money as people who imbibe all kinds of media from all kinds of people in all walks of life and all scenarios. Yeah. Accountability is also on the part of the consumer, right? It's like, we're, we, we also have to like make choices with how we spend our money and who we support. Thank you for those thoughts, Mary Best. Appreciate that point of view and perspective. You're welcome. All right, moving on. We're going to talk about Sabrina Ionescu. Oh my goodness. She's on a raging hot uh, start to this uh, WNBA season. George, hit us with some of these figures I know you got ready for us, some of these numbers. So the Liberty, is, as of right now, are 4-0. Uh, remember, she she hurt her, hurt her leg, hurt her knee. Uh, uh, ankle. Wash, or ankle. But didn't play another game. So uh, this, is next, this is kind of like the rookie season, even though she, she played like two months of last season. She hit the game winner on Friday, uh, the three-pointer. Uh, my favorite part is when she, when she like the whole bench is going crazy. Just just a bunch bench back, which is so that's just game awareness, everybody. And yeah. then uh, she recorded the tenth uh, triple double in WNBA history with twenty six points, thirteen uh, assists, and eleven rebounds, or reverse that, eleven rebounds and thirteen assists. And she's the youngest person in WNBA history to do so. Uh, she has been better than advertised. I mean, I've watched a couple of those games that she played in Oregon a, a, two years ago. The, I think the, the relationship with Kobe Bryant was, I was like, oh, they're like buddies. And I, I wasn't the biggest Kobe fan because he was a bit of a ball hog. It put her on a different stage. She's 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 uh, she's she's better than advertised. Uh, I'm I'm actually thinking about going to a a game uh, next week or so just to go see her because she's she's that good. I agree. I want I'm I'm down to go to some games. I was actually looking at tickets uh, earlier. That shot that she hit was that game winner. That three like three feet behind the line off the pick. Great play. Uh, Yeah, it was. So she did play a little bit before she hurt herself last season, but this was only her sixth professional game. So she had a triple double in her sixth professional game. Yeah. She's killing it. Yeah. Her season ended August of last year. All right. So what, what's next, George, what are we talking about? Uh, we lost two, uh, two real ones. We lost Charles Grodin and Paul Mooney this week. Um, Charles Grodin just happens to be in one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, in fact, I worked last night or two nights ago and I made sure to get some chorizo and eggs <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Charles Grodin, yeah. the Duke, Jonathan Mardukas from uh, the one of the greatest movies of all time, which is uh, Midnight Run. And we also lost a uh, comedian Paul Mooney, who's uh, who I wasn't like a like a huge fan of, but like uh, his influence is, is is massive. I mean, like there aren't many comic comedians who out there who weren't fans of him. I know, I, I don't know. It's weird. Like I'm not a digester of comedy. Like like most other comedians, like I like comedy. If I don't know you, then I'm <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I'm like yeah. I, I, I see myself as being like indie rock <laughs> and everybody else is like you too. I, I, I know that you too is a big deal, but I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm your, I'm a band in the garage. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Is a, they're on, they're on another level. So shout out to you too. Yeah. And to your point, I think probably like you would agree that maybe like as a kid, you were more of a fan and followers. And then once you started to kind of like do it for yourself and see how the sausage gets made, it's like, you don't, it's like your craft. So yeah, I could, I could, I get it. Yeah. Unless, like, you know, it's like, yeah, you gotta be George's friend. I, I like, I like the first U2 records. It's not like ridiculous. I said that. 
it's boy and uh war war and war war and boy i like those two war is good (laughs) all right we uh we're getting we're getting off topic but uh yeah just a quick couple of things about those those two legends uh one something i just actually learned about charles groden i was actually i was watching midnight run before we got on this call (laughs) nice uh, i watched it last night i watched the essay before i went out it's on HBO Max. Like it is. It yeah. It's it's just it's great. But uh, Charles Grodin turned down the role of Benjamin Braddock in The Graduate uh, that went to Dustin Hoffman, which is really interesting. And I think he would have probably brought like a totally different thing to that movie, which I have always loved, and like it would have set his career on a different uh, path. But it's also interesting because five years later he did get a big break. Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak Kid, which yeah. is directed by Elaine May, who Elaine May, yeah. partners with Mike Nichols, who directed. Uh, yeah, no, it's like all of this related. Yeah. And the only very quick thing I want to share about Paul Mooney is actually something that former guest of the pod, uh, Hari Kondabalu, uh, shared that I wanted to share because it goes to what you you were saying, George, about how he was a big influence on people. And uh, just to give some insight onto why here are Hari's words. Rest in peace, Paul Mooney. Saw him do three hours of stand-up at DC Improv in 2003, and it changed my life. My ribs were sore from laughing. He spoke about racism bluntly, honestly, and without fear. Whites walked out, and I learned that was okay, because your art didn't have to be for everyone. I learned that your art was about your truth, so speak it loud and with confidence. It's for who it's for. On stage, I started writing jokes about things I cared about and that made me angry. Off stage, I was more willing to call out injustice and have difficult conversations. He was an underappreciated legend, and he would be the first to tell you that. Go listen to his album Race and hear things that are just as relevant today as they were in 1993. Comedy lost an icon. Rest in power, Mr. Mooney. Thank you. I thought that was uh, a nice thing to share. Uh, and yeah, again, definitely Charles Grodin and Paul mm-hmm. Mooney will be missed. Three stone eggs forever. <laughs> Agreed. 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 <laughs> Teresa Eggs. Such a good movie. Such a great performance. It really is. It's like I, I love when character. I love when actors or scenes in movies and they talk about food. The, the when he talks about uh, Lionel's potatoes, it's like Jane Shannon, have you ever had Lionel's potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, everybody. Like Yafet Kodo is killing, and uh, Joey Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, yeah. You got a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh so good all right well i think that'll do it for bar talk we're going to uh to close it up we're tapped out and we're gonna go ahead and sit down with carlos cruz velasquez hello hi hi how are y'all i i'm not surprised that you are at work at work yeah are you set are you ready i am i'm, I'm ready i have my topo chico here I have wonderful. a wonderful, uh, it's beautiful over here right now. It looks great. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Yes. So the background looks nice. It looks wonderful. Oh, yes. wonderful. Can't wait. I will first introduce everyone. Everyone, this is Carlos. This is George and producer Mary Bess. Hi, Carlos. It's so nice to meet you. Hi, nice meeting you. Thank you so much for having me Yeah, Carlos, thank you for being on our show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, so I first want to congratulate you and your wonderful husband, Jamie, on your new adi- your, your new addition to your family. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure of his full name. I've, I'm talking about a new puppy that you have, yes. uh, Diego. 
Yeah. But I was telling, I was showing George and, and producer Mary best pictures earlier, and we were all, you know, giving the appropriate oohs and ahs because <laughs> he is adorable. Um, yeah. But I was saying that you have you have many animals that are also double as your children, um, which which we all, which we all understand. <laughs> but I'd love for you to give us a rundown of of all your animals and also how how are they all coexisting together. Uh, well, it's been uh, a wonderful thing uh, having animals right now. Like they are um, saving us in this COVID times. I mean, you you know it too by experience. Um, right now, we have three dogs and a cat. Um, we rescue dogs. Um, we used to only rescue senior dogs, and we decided that it was time for us to be treated. So that's why we got a puppy, you know, and I, I have zero experience of how to train puppies. I don't know how to potty train them, like to house break them. I have no idea how to do that. And Jamie, neither, because we've been like saving older dogs that are house trained. So there's a whole different experience, you know, and um, we first rescued Margo from, um, uh, it's called uh, Friends Animal Society. And we got her. She was in a horrible situation. She was in a hoarding situation. This person was hoarding dogs and hoarding trash in their apartment in Queens. So there was over 40 dogs in her apartment. And Margo was found on the second scouting at that apartment. So that was like, that's why she's really hard with other dogs. Uh, and I mean, we coexisting with humans, you know. Um, and yeah. She's like, an, she's a, now is, uh, between six and eight years old. We don't know. Nobody knows. Um, so we assume that she's like around that age. Uh, with Huey, it was a different situation because we were lucky to find a little dog at um, the ASCPA in Manhattan. They usually have big dogs. They don't have little puppies uh they thought that it was a puppy but no Huey is now like uh five years old uh we thought he was young but no he's just a short little chubby dog um and his situation he comes from a uh, he was seized by the police he was in an abuse relationship with his parents so his parents are in jail and I mean, the ASCPA took him over and like we saw him and we decided to rescue him. And then we got uh, our cat, Penny Lou. Um, she's a wonderful kitty. We got her. She's not adopted <laughs> because I'm a very allergic to cats. So um, we had a mice infestation in our apartment in Brooklyn. So we were looking for a, something to solve that situation. And the only one was like to get a cat. And we did some research and we found a hypoallergenic cat breeder of state New York. We went there, we met her, we got her. Now she lives with us. And it's been wonderful. I'm not a cat person. I grew up with cats, but my family was not pet friendly. The cats were always kept in the backyard and they were never welcome to come in because they were there for to kill rats and vermin and other things and so my relationship with cats 
it has changed now. And Penny is a wonderful catch. Is a Devon Rex. That breed is a wonderful breed because they are like dogs. And now Margot and her are best friends. And now with the new addition, which his full name is Diego Ellery Ashling Cruz Velasquez, uh, we decided to make him free at home and he is now the cat's best friend. So everything is going very well with them so far. <laughs> That's great. It, it's, you know, cause it's, it's, it's a lot. It sounds, uh, it sounds like a lot and they all have, you know, definitely like a lot of trauma and stuff. So it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's interesting that they've all, uh, they've all adapted to, uh, to each other. They have to adapt. They don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you guys are just what, just great with uh, coming up with names. I love all of the, your names for your your pets. You know, they're <laughs> kids. They're kids. And with this, with uh, with Diego, we decided that Jamie's family name needed to go and live forever. So um, we're doing that. You know, um, Margot's full name is. Uh, uh, Marguerite Victoria Cruz Velasquez. Uh, Huey's full name is Humberto Felipe Cruz Velasquez, princely brother to Her Highness uh, Princess uh, Margarita Victoria Cruz Velasquez, and then Penny Luis Penelope Luisa. So we know, like, we are stupid with the names. It's you know, like we have, we like to have fun with them. I'm glad I asked that question because. <laughs> that, that was wonderful um but uh just a little background for george and mary best know this but uh our listeners uh carlos and i work together uh technically you are my boss um but but also my friend uh, i've known you for for many years um and have worked with you in restaurants uh for you for several years and i would just you know, be interested to hear you're someone who has been managing restaurants this whole past year. You've been on the front lines and uh, keeping things open and, and taking care of employees and customers. And will you just share with us just a little bit of, of what this last year has been like and, and some of the, uh, the experiences uh, you've had? Absolutely. Um, well, when the stop, the, the, the world stopped last year in March 15. Um, it was really hard for for me just to make that decision and confront just the idea of not having a job, you know. And then the the second concern to me was not only me; it was like, what's going to happen with all the employees? You know, I was like, what are we doing? You know. And in the beginning, the conversations with the owners was like. It's going to be a week. It's going to be two weeks. But we didn't know what we were doing. You know, like everybody thought, oh, this is going to be like two weeks, three weeks, a month. When the idea like of this, of all the restaurants shutting down, so it was the concern for me, but the others, like the first thing was like, okay, so food is going to go bad at the restaurants. So let's call all the employees. Let's empty the walking uh, fridges and let's give the employees at least this. So, I mean, mostly everyone came in and they took whatever they could. And I mean, I went home with 
three huge bags of veggies and fruits and whatever. And it helped us for the first month. You know, like we didn't thought that we will be closed for that long. I mean, and, and the restaurant that I work at, like we were not, we were not like we shut down, but we slowly started to open. It was so it was like two months and a half that we were completely isolated, and until the owners decided, like, okay, so I think we it's safe to say that we can reopen safely, and then I assume a, a bigger role managing two venues and keeping the mandate of using and wearing a mask, you know, and. Since then, it's been a roller coaster of emotions for me and for employees and for guests. Um, and unfortunately, the pandemic is nowhere to be in. I mean, I, I think people have high hopes that the CDC mandate of being maskless now is going to end the pandemic and get rid of the virus. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, I have, I'm very opinionated on that right now. Um, but I mean, I, I think people are desperate right now to go out, but we need to do it responsibly. Um, I mean, I, as I was telling you, it's just, it's been a challenge for everyone because we don't know what is happening. And at the beginning, people were understanding. Now people are tired. People don't have tolerance towards service industry workers. People are going back to their all ways of mistreating restaurant workers. And that's been a challenge right now. It's it, it's it's unfortunate because it, it was the first two months in May when we opened, it was, everybody was like so appreciative, you know? And like now it has gone to a direction that I think it's a little worse when we were in living in the normal world. So that's, I, I think that's the main challenge right now, like to go back and be humans again and understanding each other. Well, and can you also speak to like you, what goes hand in hand with that is like some of the miscommunication and also lack of communication from like the top as far as like, what are the actual policies that we're supposed to be implementing? I mean, uh, right now it's so open for everyone to interpret the CDC's mandate so every restaurant is do whatever they think it should be to maintain the health for their employees. And that has changed. Like I, I, I talked to everyone. Um, I have talked to several people that work in the industry. Some bars are requiring to see the, the vaccination cards. We are not doing that here. Like we are like just you decide to come in. We need a, you need to wear a mask. Like if you are vaccinated or not, that's your own thing and because that's also like an invasion of privacy and that's another thing that we're talking is how private it is you know like am i supposed to be judgmental of you because you have a vaccine or not so i mean now it's for everyone no mask no service at least with us for now and we'll see in a couple of weeks we'll see in a couple of months how that goes because some bars are saying like i'm not doing bar service i'm not closing at midnight and we're not doing that right now because we need to hire people too. Right now, it's a challenge for the service industry because um, people don't feel safe to go back to work. It's really, really difficult. You know, and it was really difficult in the beginning. In March, it was really difficult for everyone. Um, I mean, that's why 
we decided to do a fundraiser for our employees. We decided to set a Tamal outpost to help to bring something to their tables. It was it has been a very challenging time. And I I mean I hope and the CDC is right and I hope that everybody is doing their part. But they think that for some reason people are distancing themselves from the reality. Yeah, well, as to what you said, I mean, people certainly are tired. I mean, I I think uh, you know that it's like it's it's also like for me, it's a big thing of the the miscommunication of everything. It's like, are we? So no, we're still supposed to keep a six feet distance, but yet we can go to a hundred percent capacity and nobody needs to wear masks. Well, those things don't really work together. So it's like we're all left on the front lines being like, well, what do we do? So you just, I guess you just have to, like you were saying, like you have to make your own, own policies. Right. I mean, and that's when everybody's in limbo right now, there's no guidance right now. You just like whatever you think you should be doing. Yeah. Well, in places like where George bartends uh, have changed the business model, like completely, you know, then the way that the flow of service and everything, George, I don't know if you guys are like starting to kind of go back to how it was before you guys are, are still staying. Still up in the air. Um, uh, that's one of the things that I want to ask you is like, are you ready to get back to that grind back to being up until two and three and four and five AM? I mean, I think eventually, you know, like the pandemic has taught us that we need to be in bed by 10 PM. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like that's a new culture to like people were like, oh, okay, so the bar is closed, the restaurant is closed at eight, I'm in bed by nine, you know, and, and that's you saw the streets. Crown Heights was dead by eight thirty, you know. Right now, that bars are opening late, like people are like out by ten, you know. Like I go if I go out for a drink, I'm like, okay, by eleven, I'm like exhausted. Yeah. You know, uh, George I mean, stayed out till two last night, and I think it's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just, I think that's the new normal on on how we socialize. You know, but I think there's an urge for everyone to be social. You know, like I see it. Like I get like between 20, 30 emails a day regarding big parties. I was like, oh, it's a party of twenty five, a party of thirty five. We have a sixty five top. A private party. We want to be safe. I'm like, yeah, you know, sure. But yeah. let me let me tell you that we're at least we're gonna take as many precautions to keep my staff safe, your party safe, and everyone who comes in happy and safe. You know, but sometimes people don't understand that it's really hard. <laughs> Well, I thank you for sharing, uh, you know, some of those those trials and tribulations. I think we're all, uh, you know, especially those of us in the restaurant industry, like we understand like how up up and down that's been. Um, I wanted to talk about a little about your pre pandemic life, though, um, as you are someone who is very talented and uh, I have always known you as a dancer and a choreographer. Um, and I know a little bit about your your history, um, but I would love to to go into it uh, a little bit here in that you came to the States from Mexico uh, to do art and to do 
was it was it dance or were you focusing on something else at first? I was uh, so I got a very prestigious uh, scholarship to come to New York. A Fulbright um, scholarship? I got a Fulbright scholarship from Mexico, and I'm the first male dancer to get a Fulbright to come to the states, which was a big thing back in 2005. You know, it was a big thing, <laughs> like a Fulbright was a thing, and I remember coming to my interview at NYU and the, Linda Tarnay, the former chair of the Department of Dance, she was like so excited. Uh, I mean, that's the beginning of my story here in the in, in New York because I I've been dancing my whole life. I have always been a big guy. I was always a chubby kid, but I started dancing since I was like six years old, and I started doing Mexican folk dance. And I was touring. My first tour was when I was eight years old with my school in Mexico. So. It has been a wonderful life that I did in Mexico, traveling and learning and learning from other cultures. I performed the first time when at the Wolfstrap Center in Virginia uh, when I was 16 years old. I mean, and it's a wonderful festival that they do. It's called the International Children's Festival. And I, I was very lucky to do that. Um, and then... Uh, after I was done with school, in Mexico is usually you do, you go to the same school for pre-K, kindergarten, elementary school, junior high school, and high school. And so I grew up with this group of artists. Um, and then after high school, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, and so I was like, oh, I want to be like somewhere in the arts. and But I didn't know. And so I enrolled into college to pursue a career in communications and I was like maybe I want to be in communication maybe I want to be a journalist I want to be in front of the camera and then I was like as I was finishing my program I was like this is just so lame like I don't want to be a journalist I don't want to be like in front of a camera I don't want to be in the production aspect of it this is not for me so like I, I think it was like not at the end of my when I was finishing college but I saw one of the recitals for the dance program. And I was like, oh, this is weird. This is the first time that I heard about contemporary dance or modern dance. And I was like, this is weird, but this is fun. So what I did is like, I remember like a couple months after I went to the dance department, I was like, I would like to try this. So I was like learning and doing things. My first ballet class when I was, when I was 21 years old, Imagine me in a ballet class at 21 years old. That was my first ballet class. And I was like, this is very interesting. I don't get the the form of things. I like the weird aspect of it. I was like, I can do things. So I rushed into finishing a BFA in dance almost at the same time as my BA in communications. So I graduated with two degrees. And useless <laughs> because, <laughs> because I choose two yeah. paths that are like okay cool until I applied for my master's you know and then I was like there was four options that they gave me they were like uh, Ohio State University University of Iowa um, uh, University of Seattle uh, and NYU and 
it was my audition at NYU that I was like, okay, it seems that they will take me from what I am, being the weird big guy. Um, as Linda Tarnay said, like, oh, we're happy that you are here because you are so different and you will bring a lot to the program. Alas, <laughs> two months later, she retired. <laughs> and then I was back to a conservatory that would not embrace who I am, but that's another story. Uh, but then I graduated um, and I'm still doing what I decided to do and I'm still weird and I'm doing dance, but uh, it's more, I call it now, like it's more a performance art experience. I do like mostly performative experiences based on movement, based on music and based on my life. That's what I do right now. So mm -hmm. It's a weird thing that I do. I like to play with costumes. I like to play with props. Um, I, I like to play with balloons, you know? Like, it's just, I want to have fun, you know? And I want to cry. I want to, to make people laugh. I want to be myself, you know? And that's what I think it's the beauty of the art to whatever we want to embrace. And I hope that I'm doing it. When you watch performances and you watch like uh, other dancers, what are the things that you're looking at that the, somebody like maybe doesn't know a lot about anything? You know, like uh, this is a, a weird thing because dance is so, I mean, the dance criticism in New York is so stupid. I mean, you can read the New York Times dance criticism and nobody understands what it says. Like, it's like, and I, I mean, I have a dance criticism class with Deborah Jowett, who was the main critic at the Village Voice which I don't know where she is. And she was wonderful because she will, will be like, describe the dance, describe what you are seeing. And all these critics, that asshole from the New York Times, like he describe it in a way that is so unrelatable. That is like, what the fuck is he seeing and what I'm seeing? You know, it's like, it's so pretentious. It becomes an academic experience. It becomes so like senseless. You know, it's like, it shouldn't be that complicated. You know, if you see Martha Graham right now, I mean, I love that a woman at that age who was considered obese or she was like fat at that time. I'm like, okay, sure, they have a point. But that times reflects something that was happening socially. You know, like we, it, it's so different. Like I like, I love dance history. I love the story of Judson Church. I love um, all the modern dance. Like I love the fathers of the modern dance. I love Jose Limon. I think the technique is beautiful. Um, Jose Limon was a huge guy, um, but there's something about, like for example, ballet that people see just the form, the shape. But there's nobody talks about the emotions. You know, it's always like, oh, the athleticism of the ballet dancer. Which I, I admire because it's 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 huge to be it's a huge sacrifice to do that and to accomplish that. Um, but it's not only that. Mm -hmm. if, if, if people don't understand that we are different body types and why a bigger person cannot be a ballet dancer. If you are um, eighty pounds, you are too fat for ABT or for metropolitan opera. You know, mm -hmm. and it's it's it's. Sometimes it's not healthy. Then you see Mystic Copeland, you know, like it is also a race thing, you know. And 
I think it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. There's so mo- some a lot of elitism in all the aspects of our world that even in the art world, it has to be like that. It's very politicized. I don't think everybody has access to dance, even if it, we have access to folk art, you know, like to keep tradition. But why we don't have access to other stuff? Why we have to pay $120 to see a ballet? Why we have to pay $60 to go to the Joyce Theater and see dance? And why we cannot support the smaller producers? You know, I, I have, I'm very opinionated with what is happening with the dance world uh, because the dance world hasn't been good to me. And that's why I am a self-producer of my work. I don't ask for opportunities from or take opportunities from anyone. And that's going to be a longer journey for me. But I'm not in a rush to do or succeed in this because I think I'm honest on what I have to tell. You know, but I mean, I appreciate, I love going to the ballet. I can't wait to go to the ballet if there's 10% capacity and I can breathe with my mask. I'm fine with it, you know? Like, I don't need to be maskless watching a show. And you know what is a beautiful thing that happened during the pandemic? It was like a lot of resources online. A lot of people opened their archives. A lot of people opened... Uh, performances for free for people like the National Theater of England show for free the, uh, the um, um, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, Frankenstein and that was like a beautiful thing that you could see for free and not a lot of people watch it because they didn't know so I mean again it's like how accessible is the art world to everyone you know and it shouldn't be that complicated to understand it. It shouldn't be that complicated to see it. It shouldn't be complicated to experience it, you know? Yes. One, well, and, and the idea that you touched on about like every single human being having something to offer artistically, if they are so inclined, regardless of what uh, preconceived notions or, or like classic uh you know standards of beauty or standards of of anything like you know that like ballet is you know i think we're going to talk about this when we talk when we do our comparisons but like you know of like this is the only thing that is up on the pedestal according to like the history you know what i mean whereas like you don't you're operating when you create a piece you are operating out of feeling and emotion right more so than form right and i think that's the beauty of art you know like i love improvising things i love um seeing what's like I, I have an outline and i'm like these are the emotions that i want to go or to convey or that i try to express and sometimes i don't accomplish that you know and sometimes i'm like laughing and being stupid you know and but that's the wonderful thing of that and you need to let everyone know that that's fine you know, and that that's fine too, not to be so formal. I mean, it's, even if it's an improvised thing, you have the respect to represent, to project, to perform something. You know, some people don't understand that performing is a privilege to be in front of an audience, whatever is a medium. It's a privilege that some people take for granted, that it's just like, it's given to me, so whatever, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it's it, try it with treat it with respect. It's it's a again, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that we are talking about right now. Agreed. 
<laughs> I want to get into some of your influences and what, what dancers and what, what performances that you see that influence you, because you've mentioned several different types of dances. Yeah, you know, like modern dance, I think I, I like the 70s. I love what the Judson Church was doing and like Twyla Tharp. I, I love her. Uh, and she was a wonderful person. I saw her like a year before she she passed away and she was so wonderful and so giving. Uh, Pina Bausch, I love her very much. I love the the dance the, the the European wave of the dance theater. I love it because it's it's you don't have to be an actor. They, they, she was giving her like a plot of the drama, and you don't need to understand it. You know, like European dance theater is fantastic. Like Sasha Balz, she's incredible. Um, uh, I mean, it just gives me the feels, but. Um, one of the my favorite dancers uh, performers is Aunt Teresa de Kersmacher. She has created this way of building something like weaving dance and music that is so unique and it's so beautiful. I mean, she's a complicated person because she um, choreographed the last the revival of West Side Story here in, in New York. And she hired a couple of dancers that were accused of sexual harassment and she gave a platform to those dancers. So it was a little complicated and I've lost a little bit of respect for her. But I mean, the, the work is wonderful. She is a wonderful person. Like to see her perform is a gift. Um, and she's very interesting. Like her last piece uh, that she did uh, some Bach pieces at the Armory. People were like so excited about it, but I and I love how pedestrian the work was. It was mostly them walking on the stage, and I just love the the, the humor of that. You know, I, I thought it's brilliant just to have a person. There was a guy just even walking a dog <laughs> on the stage. I'm like, this is wonderful, you know. And the exercise was with the music, and it was like, isn't this great? I mean, why we cannot do these things? I mean, the other aspect of that is like, you have to pay $80 to see that. That's another conversation. But I think yeah. she is very fearless on that. And there's a lot of New Yorkers are doing wonderful things. Miguel Gutierrez is doing wonderful things with uh, performance and um, uh, spoken word. And he does music. It's wonderful. And it's, uh, it's important. It's relevant. It's um, it's current, and that's what it's important. Um, even Viva Reese, that she's a big advocate for abortion with her, um, thank God for abortion. Her performances are incredible. You know, like it, art should be political, and that's something that I want to. I mean, I, unfortunately, I'm not very political or, or political enough, uh, and I do admire people who are doing that, and they are not taking no for an answer and just doing whatever the fuck they want. You know, I think that's the big influences right now, but there's so many great stuff, you know, like you're, I mean, it was mostly European in Mexico city. There's a performer called uh, Leche de Virgen. That is a beautiful performance artist that is dealing with body dysmorphia. And it's just, incredible to see that uh la pocha nostra in the west coast dealing with um american mexican-american issues and identity it's 
beautiful what they are doing. You know, like it's like making fun of themselves being Mexican Americans, and it's just I think it's it's precious. It's it's relevant. It's current, and it's important that people know about this artist because um, it's it's the art is beyond. You know. All right. Well, George, you want to transition us into our, our game here, I think? Absolutely. So, Carlos, here at the uh, Know Your Roles podcast, we take two things that seemingly have nothing in common, and we try to try to compare them. And for you, we're going to be talking about dancers and seafood dishes. Yeah. So okay. we did this round robin. I'll start off. David's going to go second. If you being our guest, okay. we'll, we'll, you'll go third. So uh, my first answer that I want to talk about is uh, I'm going to start off, let me keep it simple. There used to be a moment in my life in which I'd watched this person do a dancing machine uh, when he was part of Jackson 5 on uh, Soul Train. It would just bring joy to, to my face. So but uh, so my first answer, I'm going to talk about Michael Jackson. And the seafood dish that I'm going to compare him to is uh, the seafood dish that you can't really eat a lot of because it is a bit unhealthy, kind of heavy with that heavy cream. So Michael Jackson, I would compare him to New England clam chowder. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not even going to begin to unpack that <laughs> i would compare it uh, we'll compare him to a sea urchin <laughs> yeah. like, yes uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right my first dancer is someone who became very very popular and a lot of the things she became popular for weren't dance but i want to say before the acting before the hit songs, before getting her butt insured, and before A-Rod, she was Jenny from the Block, J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, who was a fly girl on In Living Color. She was a dancer. That's how she started. That's when I first found out about her, like, being a fan of In Living Color as a kid. And, and, and now she is as popular as you can be. And that's why, as a seafood dish, she is Ba- a Baja fish taco, which <laughs> been making Baja fish tacos forever. But in the States, like we found them 20 years ago and now it's on every fucking menu everywhere. It's yeah. on everything. So, uh, and it could be fried or grilled. Yes. Both delicious. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, J-Lo, sing, act, dance. She's good at all of it. She can do them whatever. And she has the money to do it. She sure does. Yeah. Um, all right, Carlos, what's your first one? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go like a little back on Ben's history, uh, and maybe oh, I, I mean I have two options. I will go with my first, um, but maybe you have heard of Isadora Duncan, who has like a big, um, the very dramatic way of dying. That her long scarf, longer than life. Um, scarf was the reason that she died in her convertible and there was a movie too about her life and she was like incredible and her it's adorable we're a beautiful group of ballet dancers that were beautiful um and i will compare her as seaweed you know she will be seaweed and i think people still talking about her you know and it's always a garnish it's a garnish (laughs) seaweed is yeah. And then everything now. Yeah. Yeah. Kelp. Yep. Kelp noodles. Um, George. All right. So, guys, the two greatest concert films of all time is The Last Waltz by the band and uh, Stop Making Sense by the Talking Heads. And then 2019 happens. And then 
one of those gets knocked out. I'm not really sure which one by this dancer. And uh, part of the reason why I enjoyed this performance is because step is a, is a, it's a sort of dancing that you don't see. People don't really talk a lot about. Anybody's ever been to a step show knows the step shows are pretty amazing. So I'm going to yeah. talk a little bit about Beyonce as a dancer and the homecoming performance and the step show part of that because it was the HBCU. And for me, there is so much going on in that performance. In fact, I watched it today. It makes me, gets me, gets me like really emotional because I was like, I love seeing people good at their jobs. And she was really, really good at her job that, that, in that performance. So that she is... She's going to be a seafood pasta because there's just so much in that. The shrimp, the calamari, the mussels, the fish, the lobster, the clams. It's everything. And Beyonce, the homecoming performance, is probably the second greatest concert of all time. Dave. All right. So my next one is, I kind of hit, I did, I'm doing my stinker second this time. Uh, I'm going to mix it up. Yep. But uh this is the one that it's not for me. Uh, I didn't get it. I still don't get it. But a lot of people do. And that's fine. And the dancer I'm talking about is Michael Flatley. Michael Flatley, the, oh, the Lord of the Dance. The Lord of the Dance, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, which is just like a ridiculous title just to begin with. Um, but also, like I was saying, it's not for me and I didn't get it. Michael Flatley's net worth is $350 million. So, so a lot of people got it. And that's why a seafood dish, he's shrimp, shrimp. I don't like shrimp, <laughs> an unpopular opinion. I've never liked it. I've tried. I've had it in many different forms. I've had great chefs who have cooked shrimp for me. I don't like it. Sorry. It's not for me. Don't like shrimp. Lord of the dance, Michael Flatley. Bless his heart. <laughs> bless, bless his heart and all of his millions yeah. still making millions yep. still making millions and going back to Beyonce I would put also her on a clownfish stew because unfortunately her team steals from other choreographers mm -hmm. and other artists so that's why I'm gonna be like mm, clownfish <laughs> but, but <laughs> I think um, I've been thinking a lot about uh Barishnikov, Misha, and he's one of the greatest dancers that we've seen, you know, and he's transitioning to a lot of different venues. He did a wonderful piece with uh, Robert Wilson and uh, Willem Dafoe. He is a multifaceted elderly man that is still performing. I mean, he's like, a, he's my grill octopus. You know, or my raw octopus, because he can do everything, you know, like as Beyonce, people are still talking about him. And I think it's wonderful. He has a, one of the most spectacular art centers in the city, uh, and he promotes a lot of art. Again, um, there's some conflict because it's for rich people. It's not for everyone. But I mean, bless his heart, too. Um, the octopus of the dance will be Misha. Nice. <laughs> all right. So my number three is widely regarded as one of the greatest tap dancers of all time. Now, before we knew him as a, as a character on Will and Grace, as an actor and in, um, in, in buddy comedies, he was a accomplished tap dancer. And if you've never seen him dance, Google the Cotton Club, the dance number he does with his brother. And I'm talking about Gregory Hines. Uh, he unfortunately pa uh, passed away in 2003, but as a dancer, the man could get 
fucking down. So for me, he's the lobster roll of, of, of seafood dishes because it's just that damn good. Yes. I yes. Love, I also love Gregory Hines. Um, all right. My next one, I actually went with a dance group that I had to look up and I've, I didn't realize that they have actually been around since 2003, which feels like a long time. And that's the Jabberwockies. Of course, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. all those lovely darlings with those face masks. Um, and I just love, and they like pop and lock and they do hip hop dancing and they, they've, they've made a lot of awesome perform like uh big grand arena performances like they did a super bowl performance and a nba all-star game which is usually like super boring and stupid but they like made it super fun and there's a bunch of them and they they do a lot of different things and that's why as a seafood dish again something that's wasn't around for that long but now it's everywhere which is poke they're poke a poke bowl <laughs> um a lot of different things going on and uh really fun and exciting right that's good um and my third one will be the very popular group that maybe you can uh remember is pilobolus that was doing all the gymnastics and they were big in the 80s they were big in the 70s they were big in the late 70s um along with um the beginners of modern dance and they step in to make commercials. They were in the Oscars. They were everywhere in the 80s and 90s. Right now, it's it's fading, um, but it's still they are still having a wonderful uh, training program that is insane because they are athletes and they are just crazy people doing insane stuff. But their stuff from the 70s, it's wonderful. Um, I think Epilobolus will be the wasabi because they've been, <laughs> everybody has touched them and it needs, it's necessary for sushi, <laughs> you know, like the sushi of the modern dance world. Everybody has to understand the importance of Epilobolus because it was wonderful. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that glob of wasabi on there. He always, I'm like, was that on somebody else's plate? Um <laughs> No, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> George. <laughs> so my next one, I wanted to make sure that I included something about this person because they're in, in it's the way like if you talk about choreography and talk about things that they've done, there's like they have to be included in any list. But I thought to myself, I was like, you know what, that's that's lazy, George. You should talk about something that this person did and talk about the dancer and what they did, because that's the best part. So the, the dancer, the choreographer and director I'm talking about is Bob Fosse. But the best version of anything he's did is Liza Minnelli in Cabaret. The, the mind hair dance number is unfucking believable yep. The chair and shit, it's, it's mind blowing. So yep. that for me is seafood gumbo. Awesome. <laughs> yep, 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 awesome. yep, yep. I mean, that Bob Fosse was incredible and he influenced so many people, you know? People Absolutely. are still talking right now for Bob, you know, and with the new iterations of the shows and the importance mm -hmm. of Bob and Cabaret still on Broadway after yep. 40 wow. years now. You know, like it's, yes, sir. it's wow. incredible. It's incredible. He was yeah. a visionary. Like his technique is so difficult. You know, I in my younger years, I took a Bob Fosse seminar, and it was just so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> All right. So my next one is a dancer from 
the Bronx, and that is Richard Cologne, who you may know as Crazy Legs. Crazy Legs. He's a break dancer. He has been around forever. He was the leader of the Rocksteady crew. He's in the movie Wild Style and kind of like made a successful career out of being a break dancer. Um, Also, he is incredible. I mean, he moves so fast and like he really like, you know, that the stupid argument of like breakdancing not being as uh sophisticated or or whatever um you know that we were hearing in like the 80s and 90s um he was kind of breaking that down he was doing stuff that's extremely graceful extremely talented um and he i met him a couple times really nice guy really sweet guy and that is why as a a seafood dish he's my charred octopus he's my grilled or charred octopus and uh yeah octopus you know they got eight legs and when he's moving as fast as he can he looks like he has eight legs so yeah crazy legs it's crazy legs yeah crab legs. Oh, that's a good that's a good one too <laughs> um carlos you're you're next one. uh my fourth one I think one of the biggest influences that I have, his name is Rip Parker. He was, he is a wonderful dancer that show me the fluidity of movement, even in my own body. Um, so um, he's a wonderful dancer. Um, he's not as famous, uh, but he was famous back in the late nineties in the California scene and the Seattle scene named Ray Parker. Look for him. He was, uh, his partner, Michael Cava created music and they were beautiful, like synchronicity with music and dance. And it was a communion and they created so much fluent music dance experiences that it changed my life, you know, and I performed with, um, with Rip a couple times and he was a mentor for me. And I think, I mean, it's so hard for me. It was like, uh, I would say that the delicacy the of the movement, it's like, that's uh, 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 like a salmon sashimi because it's like so buttery and it's so, it's, it was a wonderful experience for me and it has changed my life and the big influence on him in my work. So I would say like that's a, the, one of the biggest influences, and it's just it just still melts within me. It's like sashimi, nice. sashimi melts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my final one is a, is, a, is a bit of a personal touch because this happens to be uh, one of my favorite actors of all time. In fact, there's a picture of him in my house from the movie Roadhouse which I think is one of the greatest movies of all time. But that's neither here nor there. And uh, yeah. the dancer yeah. I'm going to talk about is because before he was an actor from uh, the, the great city of Houston, he was a dancer. He's the son of a choreographer from Houston, Texas. And I'm talking about Patrick Swayze. So he's, his dancing is, is, is he's, he's a, the guy was a great dancer. The guy could dance. And yep. for me, that is, uh, he is a uh, fish and chips. <laughs> yeah awesome i love that um <laughs> all right so my last one is also a little bit personal uh it's someone you know i didn't uh i didn't dance wasn't like 
super present for me as a kid. Um, but this was someone who I saw at a young age and I was like, oh, that's something different. And I do kind of understand a little bit of like that. And, and it looks really interesting to me. And that was Savion Glover, Savion Glover, who mm-hmm. became very popular in, in the nineties, um, bring into noise, bring into funk, of course. Um, and he was tap dancing, but you know, he, and he was doing traditional dancing somewhat, but he was also making it very personal. And he also like, he looked like a, just a, a dude you know, he was wearing baggy pants and, and had dreadlocks. And like, I was like, Oh, this dude, this guy's like a real person. And he made it approachable. And he was also like super cool. Um, you know, I, he would, I would see him on like Rosie O'Donnell show or whatever when I was like 12. Um, but like I said, he kind of like was one of, I, I started to see dance as something just like all arts that is so varied and you can, uh, you know, it, had uh, it changed my my opinion and track, which is why as a seafood dish, it gives me an opportunity to bring up uh, food I've eaten around the world, which I love to do on all of these food episodes. Uh, and that is uh, the the grilled trout I had at in Isla del Sol in the middle of Lake Titicaca in Bolivia. <laughs> I was not a big sea I was not a big seafood fan. Um, I did not eat a lot of seafood growing up. And when I was in my twenties, I, I did a little traveling in South America and I was in Lake Titicaca and you go to the middle of it, to this little tiny Island that they have no running water and plumbing. And, and, you know, uh, there's like one hotel or hostel and, and restaurant basically. And you got to go to all the, the way to the top, take your big backpack up there. And I, you, once you get up there, you just get just a simple plate of grilled fish with rice and vegetables. It had literally just come, come out of the water and it was one of, if not the best things I've ever eaten. And it was the, one of the best pieces of fish I've ever had. And like, from that moment forward, I was like, Oh, I actually like fish. I like it. And just like, after seeing Savion Glover, I was like, Oh, I actually like (laughs) dance. So Savion Glover is the trout from Isla del Sol. <laughs> you know, and the outreach that he does on education, it's incredible. He is a wonderful human being. I've seen him live a couple of times. I've seen him in classes, and he is so generous. I mean, he's famous, and I think he's very grounded. You know, like awesome. I, I think he has a mission, and that's beautiful that you are saying that. Yes, amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, uh, so I think <laughs> my last one. If this is the last one, yes, I, I give it some thought, and it was uh, a very big influence, and not only on me, but in everyone who think that they cannot dance or they cannot move, and it should be Kevin Bacon in the Footloose. That was one of the biggest moments in like in dancing movies. I mean, it's different than it's different than Gene Kelly, you know, like Ginger. Uh, and DJ Rogers, like that's a different aspect that they need their own um, show. But what Kevin Bacon did in that movie, and to see him in that freedom, it's just so wonderful and it's so inspirational. You are like he's just having fun. Why can people cannot have fun? You know, it's like so. Kevin Bacon is my trout. You know, it's like. It please everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's my girl trout. 
awesome. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yep. Well, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we let you go, would you, uh, can you plug something for us? Yeah, I've been doing a few performances in the park uh, with my friend Christina Noel Reeves and her, uh, Christina Noel and the Creature. We are doing like a few um, performances in the park. Um, I am preparing a new solo show and I'm commissioning costume for that. And they are commissioning music. So I'm very excited for that. Um, it will come sometime in May, June, and I'll keep you posted on that. Um, in the meantime, because I will have it posted on my at Colectivo Dos Zeta on the Instagram or colectivodoseta.org or any of my social media at Carlos Cruz V. And I'll keep you posted. I'm being very charged, I'm still very charged of what is happening. So I think emotions will be be showing, you know, and it's important to create art right now. Like whatever it is, painting, you can sing, you can dance, you can call it whatever. I think it's important that we express right now what is happening in the world, whatever it is, even if you are your own audience. I think it's important. It's, it's very important to do whatever it makes you happy. Agreed. As someone who is often their own audience, I agree with you completely. Um, um, well, we, I just want to say on behalf of all three of us, but thank you so much. Uh, for absolutely. Doing absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you guys. And there's the, the cat, the cat says, thank you too. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we're, we're all very pleased to meet you and to have you on this this podcast. I I, I apologize for the quality of my voice as I have a large cat on my, oh, on my person. It's okay. <laughs> a beautiful cat. It's a beautiful cat. She's a, she's a good girl. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Carlos. All right. Thank you again so much to Carlos. That was great. Um, it was really nice to uh, talk about things other than work with him. Um, so yes, thank you to Carlos Cruz Velasquez. Check out his Instagram, Carlos Cruz V at Carlos Cruz V and his dance collective Colectivo Dos Zeta. And their Insta is at Colectivo C O L E C T I V O Dos D O S. Zeta, Z-E-T-A. So definitely check him out and look for his upcoming stuff. All right, we're going to go into last call and round out this show to talk about things we're looking forward to and things we got on the uh, docket coming up. George, what do you uh, wh- what do you got going on next week? What are you looking forward to? Well, this week is pretty much just playoff hockey and playoff basketball. My Washington Capitals are playing the Boston Brewers. I believe game three is tonight. This uh, series is at 1-1. And uh, hopefully my Washington Wizards get in by winning uh, beating Indiana tonight. And, of course, the PGA Championship. This Of the majors, the PGA is usually kind of like my it's – like, it's like number three behind uh, the, the Masters and behind uh, the British Open. But it is it is going to be interesting. Uh, and I'm going to be rooting for my guy uh, Morikawa and my guy uh, Brooks Kepka. What about you? What are you looking forward to? Uh, one thing that's uh, streaming right now, which is – those who wish me dead i think it's on hbo max it's on hbo max yeah have you seen it yet come on you saw it you watched it 
Uh, it watched me the last hour of it, but yeah, I watched the first hour. Of it. <laughs> All right, I was a little, a little banged up, <laughs> fair, but I watched it. Yeah, no. fair enough. Um, yeah, well, it's the new. It's a a, a a film with Angelina Jolie, who I'm like kind of. She's like hit or miss for me. It's hard for me to like get out of the like this. I'm watching Angelina Jolie mode, but uh, Taylor Sheridan directed that movie, who I really love. He wrote Sicario. And he directed a movie a few years ago that I really thought was very, very good, which is Wind River. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cast is awesome: John Bernthal, Aidan Gillen. Yeah, what did what did you what did you think about it, George? Should, is it worth it? Yeah, no, I'm gonna finish it. The it's, it's weird. It's weird when you watch. Like she hasn't done she hasn't done a whole lot of movies in the past like ten years. Yeah, and, uh, she won an Oscar twenty years ago. Holy shit. Yeah, it's like for a uh, girl in Rump, which is also a great movie. Was 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 strange. Is like when you see her in the movie, you do never forget that that's Angelina Jolie, and I kind of that kind of bums me out. Like like her personal yeah. life is actually we know more about her personal life than we actually in movies. That also kind of bums me out too. Yeah, like uh, there's some movies yeah. of hers that I I actually rather enjoy, but like uh, but now you're just like oh yeah, it's Angelina Jolie. So like I have a tough time like separating the dancer from the dance. Because like when you watch her movies, it's like, oh yeah, it's Angelina Jolie. They're doing stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that. She's like she's female Tom Cruise, or Tom Cruise is male male her. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a couple other people I would uh, I would throw in there, but I don't want to have a whole. Uh, I don't want to have a discussion about it. But uh, um, yeah. But uh, Taylor Sheridan, I think, is great. So I I want to give it a I give it a sniff. Give it the old George. George Gordon's yeah, yeah, no, he directed Hell or High Water, and I love that movie. Yeah, Hell or High Water as well. Um, yeah, the only other thing is uh, Z-Way. I've been watching Z-Way's show. She's done a couple of them, her new Showtime show. It's hilarious, and I th- think that she's going to have Andrew Yang on uh, this week. Not Alan Yang? Not Alan Yang. Actually, Andrew <laughs> Yang. But uh, if you know anything about Z-Way or have like, seen any of her content, like she is popular because she rips people apart. Uh, in interviews, and I think she's gonna. Who is this? Z-Way? You know who Z-Way is. You don't know who Z-Way is? No. I know Freeway. Rapper Freeway. Jesus Christ, George. All right. Well, many of our listeners. I definitely have holes in like uh, what I uh, what I. I know, but she writes on like Deces Deces and Miro, and like you you've seen her. She did interviews with like allison roman and and uh like rose mcgowan over the last over the pandemic that like went viral yeah all right george is uh 42 no. going on 75 um yeah. pretty much yeah <laughs> um all right but mary best you you're aware i am and george we will loop you in so don't worry but it's gonna be okay <laughs> Um, all right, that's it for me. We're gonna check in now with producer Mary Bess for MB's booth. Mary Bess. Thank you, Dave. Today I want to talk about Color of Change, the largest online racial justice organization in the country. I got involved with Color of Change in Mississippi prior to the election last year and was working with them to build voter registration in Mississippi and help Mississippians navigate the ballot itself prior to November 3rd. I've since gotten involved in their New York chapter, and I can tell you that they're doing a lot of really amazing things on the ground. And along with fighting systemic racism in our policing and carceral systems, one of their main goals is electing people to public office who will fight for racial justice. And that may seem like a small ask, but campaigning for and being acutely aware of candidates who are publicly standing on a foundation of racial equity changes everything. 
You can learn more about Color of Change via their website, colorofchange.org. And if you want to get involved in one of their local chapters, there are a lot of opportunities to volunteer virtually and in person. And the New York chapter meets virtually every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can sign up via mobilize.us forward slash color of change forward slash event forward slash 375516. I will link this in the episode description today so you can look for that. Or you can search for a meeting in your own community at mobilize.us. And if you feel called, you can also donate to efforts like Color of Change who are doing really incredible work in the fight for racial justice. Thank you very much, Mary Bess. Yeah, Color of Change is a great organization. Rashad Robinson, who is the the head of it, is really an inspiring, incredible person. All right, George, give us a little preview of uh, what we got going on on the show next week. Davis, we have the, uh, the the rare opportunity where it's just going to be me, you, and producer Mary Bess, and we're going to be doing one more round talking about pro wrestlers, something I know a lot about, and vegetables, something I know also a lot about. So <laughs> yes. can't wait for that. <laughs> I, I can't either. Definitely check for that. Check for uh, uh, our episodes on Fridays. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Best. Thank you to the team that did our theme song, Nate88, Alan Sack Kid, and Kazo Oslo. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Know your roles wherever you get your podcasts. Please, everybody, be safe and be healthy. So usually, it's like in the past like a year, I've been saying, uh, wear your mask over your fucking nose and uh, still do that. Also, get vaccinated so you can like hang out and do stuff. So... There's my, that would be my new thing. It was like, uh, get get double vax and wear your mask over your fucking yeah. Still do it. <laughs> yeah. Still do that. <laughs> All right. We're out. You know the road.